All right. Part two, we're going to find out this is kind of a part three, but Jude is a, Jude is a, a heavy book. It's, th- it's thick with truth, and we probably should have spent a couple months on it, uh, not two Sundays. But we're going to try to get through it really quick. I'm going to give you guys a quick recap of last week. Last week, we learned that this Jude is Jesus' baby brother, little brother Jude, and um, he's writing to a church possibly, but they consider this a general letter, and we see in the intro it's because it's to all of God's chosen and called. We learned last week that he is urging them to contend for the faith, this word that has an idea of training, but specifically training in battle, and he's warning them about these false teachers who have snuck in right? Kind of under the radar. And he describes them in three ways. We saw that last week. They were ungodly, and that really just means anti-worshippers. They don't recognize God as the creator and, and sustainer of everything. Um, they, they are um, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives, right? They're saying, God will forgive you. You can do whatever you want, right? Let your heart decide what your truth is. And then the third way was that they denied um, our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to kind of jump back for just a second and remind you guys that the whole first part, kind of two-thirds of the book of Jude, is to let us know who these people are and the fact that God will judge them because he always has. He gives us three examples in the Old Testament of groups that rebelled against the authority that God had given them, and each of those groups ended in destruction. And he illustrates this by quoting from a book that's not in the Bible. He quotes from the book of Enoch, which was a popular first century Jewish text. Um, it's kind of, uh, the, the writer is assumed to be Enoch, the seventh descendant of Adam in the Old Testament. And if this are true, this would be the first prophecy, first message from God to humanity. And Enoch is quoted as uh, saying this. Let's see. Did I go too far? Right there. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people, talking about the, the false teachers who have wormed their way in. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for, the, and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So these individuals, they're anti-worshippers. They're ungodly. They haven't experienced the transforming grace of God. So they don't understand what God's grace means. And then they don't acknowledge Jesus as the moral master of their life. And because of that, they are doomed to destruction. And Jude is warning us that these people are terrorists. They are spiritual suicide bombers. They're going to be destroyed, and they're trying to take as many people as they can with them. So what do we do? What are we going to do about it? This week, we, we talked last week about contend. This week, we're going to talk about continue. It's a nice alliteration, but I'm going to change it. Instead of contend and continue, we're going to talk about contend 
and keep kept. Keep kept. He reminds us who we are. Jude reminds us who we are in that very first verse of Jude. He says, I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. We are the called by God, and he loves us, and he keeps us. Called, loved, and kept. What a great thing to rest in on this Sunday. Now, as far as called goes, you could, you could preach a whole sermon series on the fact that we are called by God. Uh, but I do think it's also the story of Scripture. If we look back, Abraham, the father of the Israelites, was Abram, and he was called by God to leave his home. Later on, we see Moses, who's run away from home, and he's called by God in the burning bush to be a Messiah figure for the Israelites. We talked a few weeks ago about Samuel. You guys remember little boy Samuel? God called his name. He thought it was, he thought it was, his, uh, he was the priest Eli. Samuel was called by God into a prophetic mission. And then through Samuel, David was called by God to be a king for the people of Israel. And then even in the New Testament, Jesus goes around calling his disciples. So the whole story of the Bible is the fact that we are being called to be, to be part of this family. Um, the second part, though, is he loves and he keeps us. Loves and he keeps us. Um, Deuteronomy 33 is what we're going to be reading in our Bible in the year tomorrow. You guys know I plug it every time I get a chance to be up on stage. I'd love for you to join with us. Tomorrow we're going to read in Deuteronomy 33. And I love this illustration because it talks about the love of God and how he keeps us. Deuteronomy 33, 12. This is a blessing over the tribe of Benjamin, but it applies to us too. Moses said this about the tribe of Benjamin. The people of Benjamin are loved by the Lord and live in safety beside him. He surrounds them continuously and preserves them from every harm. So his love, God's love, leads to being kept. They go together. I really like the uh, NIV translation here. Um, The NIV takes those last two lines. He surrounds them continuously and preserves them from every harm and actually takes it back closer to the original Greek. If we take it back to the, closer to the original Greek, it says, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Did you guys know that you rest between God's shoulders? What, a, what an awesome picture. My two oldest, uh, Brock and Maisie, have been playing basketball. They're in two different leagues. One's here in Springdale at the rec center. The other's with the Boys and Girls Club. But when we go to these games, there's just massive people everywhere. And we have little ones. And so it's, we're constantly trying to keep up with the, especially the two littlest, Katie and Nate. They're two and four. And I know at the end of the game, to keep them safe, I scoop them up and I put them on my shoulders. Let's see if this picture works. Did we get the picture in? Right there. It's, it's every game. At the end of every game, I'll scoop them up, either one or both, and put them up on my shoulders. Because I know that when they're on my shoulders, they're safe. I love them, so I keep them. So Jude is commending us. And we talked last week, what does it look like for us to contend for the faith? We said worship, read, and pray. 
Worship because the ungodliness is anti-worship. So when we worship, we're acknowledging who God is. We read because when we read, we learn God's truth, and we're better able to fight against Satan's lies, right? God's grace isn't a license for immorality. And then lastly, we said pray because that is acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of our life, and we pray, Lord Jesus, direct my path. I want to be just like you. So, Jude's commending us to keep kept. And those are kind of passive things, right? To worship, to pray, uh, to read Scripture, all seem kind of passive, but we can rely on the fact that God is the judge. So we work through our faith, and we contend for our faith, and that flows out into the people around us. This is contending for the faith, not being contentious for the faith. So we're called, we're loved, and we're kept. What now? We're called, we're loved, and we're kept. What now? And Jude picks this up at the end of his letter. After he talks about these evil, false teachers who've wormed their way in and are misguiding people, he has a lot to say about that. We pick up in verse 20. But you, that's us, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. Now, wait a minute. We just read at the beginning that we're kept. God's got that under control. What is it saying here that we will keep ourselves in God's love? I'm a week behind in the reading through the scripture in a year. So last Saturday, that's the day that I'm on. Sorry, you guys get a little peek into my life. Not perfect, Nathan, like everybody thinks. But last Saturday, uh, we were in Deuteronomy um, chapter 7, I believe. Let's see. Yeah, chapter 7. And this is, again, Moses talking to the people, and he lays out their story like this. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Now, let's apply that to us. God didn't call me. He didn't choose me because of anything that I've done. Because if that were the case, there wouldn't be anything in my life that would make him want to pick me. He didn't pick me because of how good I look or how I look like I have my life together. He didn't pick me because I keep up on my weekly reading. Thank the Lord. There's nothing about me that caused God to pick me. And it's important for us to realize that because we're often told God loves you just the way you are. And that's not true. It doesn't say that in Scripture. It says God loves you in spite of the way you are. There's only one person that God loved because of the way that he was. And because of that, God loves us in spite of the way that we are. And he loves us enough to empower us to live like that one that he loved just because of the way that he was. So that's verse 7. All right, verse 8, moving on. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love 
on those who love him and obey his commands. This is a command to be kept. Keep yourself kept. Keep yourself in God's covenant. Therefore, you must obey all these commands, decrees, and regulations I'm giving you today. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. We look at the the gospel oftentimes as what we can get out of it. What are the benefits to me? And I think because of that, we kind of, don't get me wrong, like replacing the doom to destruction, like that's our destiny. Replacing that destiny with an eternal ecstasy in heaven, that's a great benefit. But it's not the only benefit. In fact, I would say it's probably not the best benefit. And it's, it's addressed multiple times in Scripture that we have a proper understanding of what the gospel really is. The book of Galatians was written against legalism. That view of the gospel was that you, now that you've, you're saved and you're under God's grace, you are not free to sin. So here's a list and start getting your life together and checking off as many of these as you can. You are not free to sin. That's not the gospel. And then this letter to the, from Jude to the church is addressing the opposite end of that. Not legalism, but liberalism. They're teaching that you are, let me, I wrote it down, free, lost myself in my notes. Oh, there it is. It was an easy one. Should have remembered. Jude says, these people are teaching, you are free to sin. God's grace in the gospel means that you're forgiven and you're free to sin. And that's not the gospel either. You're not not free to sin. You're not free to sin. The gospel that Jesus brought means that we're free to not sin. God has given us freedom from our old life. Jesus, in the gospel of John, it's recorded, Jesus puts it this way. It's in John 14. The whole passage would be great to read. We didn't have time today. But in John 14, verse 23, Jesus says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. That's the gospel. God desires to live in community with you, to develop a relationship. He loves you in spite of who you are, and he's changing your life into who he wants you to be. And he's inviting us to keep kept. So I think it's important. Let me find my place. Oh, Jude continues. So right here it says that he he will come, we will come, Jesus and the Father, and he'll make our home with each of them. He didn't say each of you. He said each of them. Because it's bigger than me. It's bigger than this room. It's bigger than Northwest Arkansas. And Jude reminds us of that in verse 22. He says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. 
There were people in this church who were beginning to believe what these false teachers were teaching. And Judah's saying, you've got to show mercy. You need to be patient with these people who are mistaken, who are confused. And it's not just people in the church. We all, we all know people in our life whose faith is wavering. Their faith in life, their faith in goodness, their faith in a creator God who cares about them and wants to direct their path. Their faith is wavering. And he goes on in his explanation and says, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. The Greek here would probably be close to like a, a house fire. Some people you got to snatch out because their life is in the midst of a house fire. They need rescue. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sin that contaminates their lives. And then before Jude lets us go, he's reminded us of these people. He's reminded us of who we are. He wants to remind us of who we serve. And he ends with a doxology. He ends the letter in praise, picking up in verse 24. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. And he ends it with an amen, which means everything I just said is true. He doubles down. Now, some of you, as I was reading that, you might have said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. We flip-flopped tw- three times in this sermon, right? God's called us and he loves us and he's kept us. And then we read that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then here at the end, we're reminded that God is able to keep you from falling away. Those seem to be opposite. And I just want to let you know, when the Bible says two things that seem to be contrary, we just have to assume that both are true. God is able to keep you, and he's calling you to keep yourself in his love. This last weekend, we weren't here. We'd taken the family to Florida, and we visited Disney. It was a lot of fun, um, but the least fun at Disney is the lines, obviously. And it was a busy weekend. It was the Disney Princess Marathon weekend. This was pretty packed. Um, And when we were waiting in line, my oldest, who's 10, going on 16, she would, you could just tell. She might have even been a little sick with a cold. There was a cold that went through the family that week. But she just couldn't do it anymore. It was hot. She was tired. Her feet were hurting. And she asked me to carry her. And I don't carry my 10-year-old very often. But I said, sure, I'll carry you. And she reached up, and I grabbed her. And I picked her up. And I realized she had forgotten how to hold me back. You guys ever experienced that? When you pick up a little one, whenever I pick up my two-year-old Nate, he almost climbs up. And then he latches hold, and because he's latched hold, he gets to do other things. But Maisie, she had forgotten how to be held. So she was just 
And I carried her for a little while, but I don't have God's strength. I wasn't able to keep her kept, so I had set her down. But that's the image that we get here. We hold on to God so that we can be empowered by God to do what he needs us to do in life. So that we can show mercy to others. We're not hanging on like this, waiting for that day when we make it to eternity, where we can walk those streets of gold forever. But we're contending for the faith. We're keeping ourselves kept. I love it. Paul puts it this way. Oh, there we go. Not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but I press on as if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. God's inviting us to be part of his story that he's writing. He's inviting us to be part of the battle that he's already won. He's inviting us to be part of the establishment of his new kingdom. It's not some time off. It's gonna be amazing. We're studying Revelation right now in the men's ministry. It's gonna be amazing. But he's establishing that kingdom right now in the hearts of his people. And we're invited to be that with him. He's holding us, we're holding him back. He's saying, there's one, snatch him out of the fire. There's one, grab them up real quick. That's the life that we get to live. As we contend and we continue, we keep ourselves kept. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the story that you have given us in Scripture. That it's not easy to read, but it is so, so beneficial. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given us so that with his help, we can make sense of your truth, that we can lay hold of you the same way and for the same reason that you've laid hold of us, and that we can grow closer and closer to being just like your son. Father, thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves and loving us too much to leave us where we are. You are God. You are God alone. And your word is good. And we want you to be the moral authority in our life. Use us to shine your light into this world, Father. We might not know what you're doing right now, but we can look back through scripture and we can see what you're doing. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand up, let's sing.